Father in heaven, just as we sung, just as we prayed, you are holy. You are the only one who is worthy. Lord, you are the only one who is able to teach and to preach and to speak your word into our lives. God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is all the glory. So, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to your very word, would you glorify yourself? Would you teach us? Father, would you encourage us, those of us who are downtrodden? Father, would you motivate those of us who have lost the zeal for our faith? Lord, would you challenge and convict those of us, Father, who are wandering in sin? God, would you equip us to do your work in this world? Father, we need you. Lord, I know that I need you. I'm not worthy and I'm not able. So would you speak in spite of a foolish and frail servant that we, your people, might hear from you this morning. We ask these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. We will be in the New Testament in the letter, the epistle to the churches of Galatia. Paul writes this. This is one of his earliest letters. He writes it to be circulated throughout small house churches that exist in the area, the region of Galatia. And so we will start off 2021 by spending a little bit of time looking at this particular letter. And it's a good way, a good foot to step into 2021. As you find your place to the book of Galatians, whether you're using a phone or a tablet or a book or following along on the screens, however you might be accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? We will look together at verses 1 through 10. I will read for us, and after I have completed, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at his word, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, the book of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let them be accursed. For am I I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When we come to the letter to the churches of Galatia, Paul jumps right in with both feet. The letter's introduction just kind of punches you right in the mouth as you read it. Paul starts off and in no uncertain terms says who he is, what the gospel is, and what this letter is going to be about. He starts off and says, Paul, an apostle. He has that office and role, not from men, not through in any sort of political motivation, not through some prestigious positioning, not through being appointed by some council, but by Jesus Christ himself. This is not an appointment of men. This is from God. So he is saying from the get-go that he is speaking on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then describes right there just a snippet of the gospel. God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, if, if you could just for a moment put yourself outside of the realm of Christianity. Put yourself outside your familiarity with the fact that we serve a risen Savior, that we proudly attest that there was a man who was born of a virgin, which is impossible, but God did it anyway, and lived a perfect life, which is impossible, but God did it anyway, who died a death that he didn't deserve, and all of those things we celebrate, and then we celebrate that that same man who was dead was brought back to life. If you're not familiar with Christianity, Paul has already made you suspect from the very beginning of this letter. Because he starts off holding high with pride the fact that we serve somebody who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who was dead and is now alive. And if you were visiting one of the churches in Galatia, you might have laughed at the beginning of this letter and walked out. Folks, the gospel that we believe seems absurd to people who are not used to it. But it is the truth. And Paul begins this letter founded on that truth because that's essential to the rest of the letters. As he says, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then takes an aside again in verse 4. Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. So you know right there from verse 4, within the first five verses, you understand in reading this letter that Jesus Christ gave himself up of his own will, of his own volition, for the sake of those who were sinful. He gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And then he even wraps up verse 5 in a similar way to what... We wrap up the Lord's Prayer with, to Him, to God, be all the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Folks, he jumps right through the gospel and just kicks the churches in Galatia in the teeth. You can go to every other one of Paul's letters. You go to Romans, you go to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, you can go to 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, you can look at Ephesians, you can look at Philippians. Paul starts off and says, grace to you and peace from our Lord and God and Father, Jesus Christ, says those things and then always launches into a, I just thank God for you guys. I just love y'all. Y'all are just great. I'm just so thankful for you. And gosh, I just, I'm just so honored to write this letter to you. It's just wonderful. You know, everybody kind of has their standard 
procedure when they're a writer, when they're a speaker. I mean, take our service, for example. We always dismiss our children to children's church. I get up here, I pray about how terrible of a preacher and person I am, and then we open the word of the Lord, we all stand up, we close the word of the Lord, we say thanks be to God, and then I yell at you for like 35, 40 minutes. And that's, that's our routine, right? That's how things go. But what if you were to walk in here one morning, and instead of standing up on the stage, right after Jason finishes, before I even dismiss the kids, I stand right here with my arms crossed, and I say, I got to talk to y'all about something. Y'all going to know right off the bat, uh... I got up the pastor's crawl, something ain't right with him. I don't know what's going on. This is out of the ordinary. This ain't right. Something's wrong with him. Maybe we did something. Maybe he did something. I don't know, but this is very strange. When the churches at Galatia get this, and Paul just jumps in verse 6, I am astonished. I am blown away that you people have done what you have done. You've traded out the gospel for a fake, false gospel. They know right off the bat how much trouble they are in. Even in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with so many problems within the church that are happening there in Corinth, but he still starts out 1 Corinthians with, hey, thanks God, thanks be to God for you guys. I'm just grateful for how you're thriving in the faith. I'm grateful for how things are going. Not in this letter. In this letter, he comes out swinging because of what has happened in Galatia. They've exchanged the true gospel for a false gospel. You see, Paul had problems. Every time he went to go and preach the gospel, there were people who followed behind him that we commonly call Judaizers. If you've been in church a long time, you understand that the Judaizers were people who said, yes, you can believe in Jesus, and yes, you can be saved that way, but you've got to clean yourself up before you can do that. You've got to become a Jew, and then you can trust in Jesus. That means you have to follow Jewish law. One of the biggest things that they said you had to do was to be circumcised. Because for 1,500 years up to this point, circumcision has been the main thing that designated one set of people as belonging to the Lord. It was a special symbol shared between God and his people that he called out, going all the way back to Abraham. And so these Judaizers would come along and say, if you want to be a Christian, you have first got to go through circumcision. Now, circumcision, if we want to talk about it, is, uh, whoo, look at the time. We better keep just right on moving through there. You know what? Jake and I had a conversation earlier this week, and by God's grace and mercy, Jake is fully equipped and prepared to answer any and all questions you may have about circumcision. So if you are curious about that, he's got charts and diagrams. You just see him after the service and he'll, he'll walk you through everything. But all jokes aside, really just the most vague way that you may not be familiar with if you're tuning in online, circumcision is a medical procedure that was very private and very intimate. And so it set them apart. And it was something that was a significant ask of if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be willing to do this, to go through this medical procedure. And Really, Paul was pretty upset about it. There were controversies um, among all of the early churches where finally all the leadership sent out letters that said that is not necessary because at the end of the day, the gospel is grace and faith and nothing else. Folks, we are saved by grace and through faith. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, for you, by grace you are saved through faith it is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. 
So there's nothing that anybody can do to add to faith or grace in order to be saved. And anything outside of that is a perversion. When Paul uses that Greek word to distort the gospel, it's the same way as to pervert the gospel, to distort or reverse the gospel. You're believing an anti-gospel because you think it's grace and faith plus something else. Insert whatever that something else may be. For them, it was circumcision. It is by grace through faith, plus you've got to be circumcised. But folks, salvation always has been and always will be by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's it. That's all that's required. There's not an extra set of works that you have to do in order to be accepted by God. And that's hard for us to come to grips with, especially here at New Year's, right? The, the thing that we are all talking about is our New Year's resolutions, correct? I mean, the weight loss companies and the gyms and the fitness and exercise companies, this month is where they make bank for the rest of the year, right? How many people are going to sign up for Nutrisystem and eat three or four of the meals that are provided and then throw the rest of it away and go, well, that didn't work. I've tried Nutrisystem before. I couldn't lose any weight. I tried it my best. I've tried all of them. I tried keto and and I couldn't stick to the keto. I ate too much ice cream. It just didn't work out for me. But this is the month where we all say, I'm not good enough. I will make a resolution and I shall make myself better. I shall pull myself up by my bootstraps. I will no longer be the overweight preacher. I will be a fit and good looking preacher and I shall have energy and I will go on a diet and I will exercise. And everybody does this and they make billions and billions of dollars. And then all of us that make these promises by February, we're like, uh, I just don't want to get up this morning. I just don't want to go run. I just don't want to go do it. Because the problem is we don't accept ourselves as we are. So if we can't accept ourselves, we have to set a resolution to lose 10, 15, 20 pounds. If I could just lose this much weight, if I could just focus and do this better, if I could just run a little bit better, if I could just be a little bit smarter, if I could just study a little bit harder, then I'd be happy with myself. But see... God says he loves us just as we are. He, he doesn't say that you've got to be better. He doesn't say you've got to lose 10, 15, 20 pounds before you can come and be saved. He says, I love you just as you are. I'll take you just as you are. You, Romans 5, 8 describes it to us in this way. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you've heard this a million times, but I want you to think through the fact that Jesus died 2,000 plus years ago. And 2,000 plus years ago, I was not a thought on anybody's mind. I did not exist, and neither did anybody in this room. And yet Jesus died for every sin that I have committed, that I am committing, and that I will commit 2,000 years before I was ever born. Romans 8 says it in this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not say that there is therefore now no condemnation for people who clean themselves up and they get off of drugs and they stop drinking and they lose a little weight and they get up every morning and exercise. There is no condemnation for those people who are in Christ Jesus. There is no work that you can do to earn God's favor. God loves you the maximum amount. There is no amount of love higher than what God loves you right now. And whether you've had a good week or a bad week, whether it's been the best week of your life or the worst week you've ever experienced, God still loves you the same amount. God may discipline those that he loves. There are consequences for the things that we do in life. But you have nothing 
to do to be accepted by God. That's like the song that Jason just led us in, John 3.16. Look with me at John 3.16. Look at how the, the Bible itself describes 3.16 and 17 and 18. Just as when we sang these exact words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that only the people who come to church every week and believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. I, no, it doesn't say that on the screen. Does it say that in your copy? No, uh, let me try again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and is circumcised should not perish. No, I don't think. God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and is baptized. You've got to be baptized, right? It doesn't count if you're not baptized. No, no, that's, that's a false gospel. That's not what it says. Faith and grace plus anything else is wrong. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and is a church member should not perish. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're acceptable to God only when you're a church member, only when you're baptized, only when you take communion, only when you sing your songs as loud as you can. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and sings really well. For God so loved the world. See, I'm out. I'm out already. I can't do it. I'm done. It's not the gospel. And folks, throughout 2020, it's really easy throughout that whole year with all the struggles, with all the trials. There's so many false gospels out there that say it's grace plus something else. Or this grace gets you this. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes, whoever believes, anybody from any background, from anywhere, from any ethnicity, from any race, from any creed, from any color, from anywhere, from any socioeconomic status, from any country, from any part of the world, from underneath the ocean, somebody rises up from the city of Atlantis, they would still be welcome. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's why Romans says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Folks, we listen to false gospels all the time that tell us that if we believe and do something else, that we will be accepted. This goes back all the way to Paul. He said it a couple of times. If there's any other gospel that is preached, even if an angel were to preach to you something other than whoever believes should not perish and have eternal life, they are accursed. And let me tell you, it was really hard to come by papyrus and ink and something to write with. And Paul takes the time and the effort and the resources, which were hard to come by, to say it twice in verse 8 and again in verse 9. And he's talking about if the ceiling were to explode right now and there was an angel that floated down, just like we described in Holy, Holy, Holy. Two wings are covering its face, two wings are covering its feet, two wings are flying, it's covered in eyeballs and it's on fire. And all of us are going, ah! And that angel or being or whatever it is that we've never seen anything like it and light fills this room and that angel says, Listen to me. You must believe in the Lord Jesus and wear sandals. Then we're going to go, 
They're cursed. Nope, nope, that's not the gospel. I don't care that they are flying around with a gazillion eyeballs and six wings and could probably burn me up with a look right now. That's not the gospel. And it's amazing that Paul writes that because the Mormon church is founded upon Joseph Smith receiving a special message from an angel that is contrary to this gospel. And Paul says even if an angel did show up and tell Joseph Smith something and it wasn't this It's wrong. The Islamic faith is based upon Muhammad being in a cave in the wilderness and an angel appearing to him and telling him something that is contrary to this gospel. So guess what? It's wrong. Even if the angel did appear to Muhammad, the angel did not say it is faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, period. Then it's wrong. We watch on TV and people tell us, well, if you believe... If you, if you do good and you believe and you have enough faith, good things will happen. You'll be healthy. You'll be wealthy. You won't get sick. You won't get COVID. I can literally blow COVID away. <sighs> be gone, COVID. They believe if you have enough faith that that will happen. It's a false gospel. God promises that those who are in him and with him will suffer. God promises that we will have a hard life, that we will be persecuted He never promises we'll have a gazillion dollars and be healthy and wealthy and never get cancer and never have to struggle through COVID or never have to struggle through quarantine or never have not enough money to make ends meet. He says that he will be with us. He says that we will have salvation. He says that we will not perish, but he doesn't promise an easy life. It's a false gospel. And see, the problem is, is that when we follow the Lord for a long time, we forget the truth of the gospel. I'm not blind up here. I can see y'all's faces. I I know that the vast majority of everybody in this room, you've heard this a million times because you've been coming to church so long and and you know this and it's, it's just second nature to you. But you know what we do? We forget. And we start to act like that we had a role in salvation because we've been walking with the Lord for so long that we forgot how bad we were. We start to fall into a false gospel that everybody's pretty good everybody's doing okay and I'm, I'm really good and I've, I've done, I'm, I'm, I'm way better than that person over there. And, and if I were that person over there, God may not respect me and God may not love me, but God is blessed that I am on his team. I've been on his team for a long time now and I'm doing pretty good and he's pretty lucky to have me. It is a prideful thought that creeps into our minds. And before we know it, we think that people got to clean themselves up and come to God. Look, God doesn't require works for salvation. It just happens when you are saved. And it's like a light. It's like a flashlight. You know, we we don't have a battery and we're a flashlight. And we click 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 and nothing happens because we have no life. We have no power. We have no nothing. We are dead. And then Jesus comes along and is empowering us in our life. It's like a battery being inserted into that flashlight. And then Jesus clicks on the flashlight so that we can shine for him. So that we become more and more holy as we live and walk with him. But it's all him that's doing it. It's all the Holy Spirit that's doing it in us and through us. It's not me. It's not that I'm good. It's not that you're good. There are no good people. It's Jesus working in us. Without the battery, we got nothing. We can't turn the light on. But because Jesus is in our life, he shines through us. So yes, good works 
becoming more like Jesus, that's a natural byproduct of being saved by grace through faith in Christ. But it is not a requirement to come to Christ. You know, most Catholic teachings would tell you that when you come to Jesus, it brings you back to square one. They say that we inherit sin from Adam and Eve, which is what we believe, which is true. We inherit a sin nature from Adam and Eve. And what most Catholics have taught for thousands of years is that when you trust in the Lord Jesus, it erases your original sin. And so now the scales are balanced. But the reason that you have confession, the reason that you have seven different sacraments and you have to be baptized and you have to go and confess to the priest and you have to offer penance, you have to keep the scales level for the rest of your life. And you've got to hope that when you die, you didn't die with more sin than you did good stuff. Because once you trusted in Jesus, you got back on a level playing field. But if you died and some of your sin outweighed your good deeds, then you go to a place called purgatory. And purgatory is a place where your sin is purged from you. They claim it is a halfway place between here and heaven. And so there's nobody that goes straight to heaven. See, part of the reason that Galatians is necessary is because false gospels are out there. There are people that still believe that and teach that. It was extremely prominent in about 1500s, 1517. A man named Martin Luther, one of the most revolutionary persons in all of church history was reading about in his bible how it is grace alone through faith alone in christ alone and realized that that's not what he saw in the church and he had 95 problems with the church that he went and posted in a public place on the church door in wittenberg so that everybody could see and he said it's not grace and faith plus you working to keep it as it is There was a basilica that was being built, and Pope Leo needed some money for the basilica. So Pope Leo told all the priests to go around and preach hellfire and brimstone and preach that there's no way to go straight to heaven. Most everybody goes to purgatory so that their sins can be purged. You might be thinking, how's that going to help him build the basilica? Well, Pope Leo said this, what we'll do is we'll sell indulgences. What indulgences are is if you give the church money then it will erase some of your sin and you can bypass purgatory and go straight to heaven. Not only that, but you may have some family members who were rough around the edges and kind of rowdy and they're going to be in purgatory for a long time. So you give a little bit of money to the church and we'll let them out of purgatory. Pope Leo will write a decree and they out of purgatory and they straight to heaven. Well, listen, if you loved your family, but they were a little rough around the edges, buddy, that's an enticing offer. I can get them straight to heaven. So Pope Leo's raising his money in this way, and Martin Luther says, that's not in the Bible. But see, people didn't know. They didn't have a Bible. Martin Luther's one of the first people to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew and Latin into everyday German. And then he just started handing it out to people and saying, read God's word for yourself. See what it says. And he would point them to Galatians. Because Romans tells us what the gospel is, and Galatians tells us what the gospel is not. And he would say, read Galatians. He would preach to people and say, you could read Galatians a thousand times, and it would be more worthwhile than listening to one of my sermons. Martin Luther pointed people to Scripture so they could know the true gospel. But folks, if we're honest with ourselves, the true gospel is scandalous. That's... 
That's why it's easier to think, well, I could just pay some money and and get to heaven. It's easier to think, if I just follow this to-do list, I can make it there. If I just work hard enough, I can earn it. You just give me the diet plan, give me the workout schedule, and if you're telling me my eternal happiness and paradise or torment depends on it, I can work that system. I will make it work. I know exactly what I have to do. Whether we like it or not, we're pre-programmed to enjoy that. We want that. And what grace does is grace flips that on its head. The true gospel is hard to believe. Because you mean to tell me that if Adolf Hitler had repented and begged God to forgive him and the Holy Spirit had moved upon his heart, that God would have forgiven him? Yeah. There is no sin that is too gross for God's grace. No matter who it is, no matter how far gone they may seem, no matter how filthy their mouth, no matter how drunk, no matter how strung out on drugs, no matter how much of a liar, no matter how much of a thief, no matter how much of a saint, no matter how much of a sinner, there is no one that is beyond the reach of God's grace. It covers whoever, whosoever will believe. Now, it's got to be true. It's got to be real. It's got to change your life. But if you believe, anyone and everyone is welcome. Well, what about people who've lived like hellions their whole life, Pastor? And then they just give their life to Christ at the, on their deathbed. You think God's going to let them into heaven? If they mean it, yeah. That's what's scandalous about grace. It seems unfair, right? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells the parable because he knows this is what people are thinking. He knows that we will struggle with this today. So he tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, Well, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, one hour left to work, folks, he went out and found others that were still standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. So he said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us. We borne the heat and the burden of the day. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Folks, you've got to know that Jesus tells this parable on purpose and for a purpose. And as he describes the master of the vineyard, 
The master of the vineyard intentionally says, start with the last people who only worked an hour. Pay them first, then pay the people who've been here all day last. You know why he does that? Because if you had just worked for a whole day, let's say $100. We don't want to deal with a denarius. 100 bucks. You work all day in a vineyard, you make 100 bucks. Not a bad day, right? I'm, I'm down for that. So you agree with this master of the vineyard, you work all day, he shows up. If he pays you first, I don't care what happens to the rest of these folks. I got my $100, peace, I'm out. I got to go and pay some bills. I got to go see my family. I'm ready to get out of here. They're not going to stick around. So he says, pay the last one first. Because I want the first one to see how much the last one gets. And I want to see how the first one responds to what the last one gets. And so foreman goes along and says, $100 for you, $100 for you. And old buddy who just worked an hour is going, Hundred dollars for standing around all day. What? And then the next one, and then the next one, and then only three hours, and then four hours, and then five hours, and then six hours, all the way down. And then everybody's still getting a hundred dollars. If you were one of the first crew, you like, I'm about to get two hundred dollars. I'm about to get two hundred. What? What? All right. And he gets down there. Hundred. You got to go get another bill, don't you? You ran out. It's all good. I'll wait. You you go back to the master, get you another bill. I know you owe me 200. No, man. That's it. That's it. What do you mean this is it? Those people weren't worth $100. Those people don't deserve $100. It sounded familiar yet? It's scandalous. Every time I read that, even now, I feel bad for the person who worked all day. But he agreed to $100. And we believe a false gospel and it makes us begrudge God's generosity. Because we think we've worked hard enough. Because we think we deserve it. And there's nothing that anybody could ever do to deserve it. It's God's generosity. It's open and available to anyone, to whosoever will believe, with no other qualifications. If you believe, then the Lord will save you, and your life will be changed. And when your life is changed, then you know you really believe. But see, what happened in Galatia is they flipped it. They said, you've got to work real hard, and then believe, and then it'll be good. And Paul says the gospel is you believe, because you believe, you'll end up working real hard. Because you realize how undeserving you are, you'll work really hard. The works aren't required. The baptism isn't required. The communion isn't required. What's required is grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. And if anybody is preaching you another gospel other than that, if you've come to believe another gospel other than that, Let me beg you this morning to remember what is not the gospel. The gospel said that Jesus came to save sinners, among whom I am chief. I needed his grace, and I need his grace every day. And I can't ever forget that I didn't do any of this on my own. Any salvation, any holiness in me is God at work in and through me. This morning, as we start off 2021, remember what the gospel is. Remember what the gospel is not. Let's set the tone for this year by believing the true gospel. And not falling victim to all the false gospels 
that are thrown at us every day. Jesus Christ came and died for you. Wherever you are watching, if you're here, if you're online, Jesus came and died for you. You didn't deserve it. You weren't worth it. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worth it. But He did it out of His own grace and goodness and generosity. If you've never believed, believe today. If you've been believing for years, don't begrudge God's generosity and believe a false gospel. But celebrate. Because there are no good people. But God was so good, He saved anyone who would believe anyway. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your goodness, for Your grace, for Your mercy. Thank You, Lord, that salvation is available by grace alone, through faith alone, in You, Lord Jesus, alone. God, don't let us add anything to Your Gospel. Help us not to focus and make the main thing working for You. Help us to remember that the main thing is believing in You. And that that message is available for anyone. Lord, we love You so very much. We thank You that You love us. While we were yet sinners, You died for us. Father, if there is anybody here Anybody watching online that has never believed in the true gospel, but they've been following a false gospel, would you open their eyes unto salvation, true salvation? Father, if any of us have been struggling by thinking we're more worthy than what we really are, more deserving than what we really are, as scary as it is to pray, Lord, would you humble us? Would you bring us to a place of repentance that we might love you and serve you well? Lord, we do need you. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory from now until forevermore. Would you move in these moments, Holy Spirit? We ask this in the name of Jesus.